Hey, Angela here. Before we begin this episode, I'd like to invite you to join our Substack community, where you'll get more founder profiles, exclusive behind-the-scenes content, first access to all my original work, and access to our community group chat. All you have to do is click the link in the description. I love and appreciate your support. It's awesome to see all your comments, email responses, and reactions. I'm happy to share this journey with you. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Honey and Hustle, a video podcast that inspires the dreamers, creators, and hustlers to make a business from their passions. I'm Angela Hollowell, and I'm a visual storyteller based in Durham, North Carolina. I sit down with creative entrepreneurs, nonprofit founders, and small business owners as they share their stories, the lessons they've learned throughout their careers, and how they've worked to make a positive impact. Hey everyone, we are filming season three of the Honey and Hustle podcast live at the Durham Bottling Co. right in downtown Durham. We're about to get into a great conversation, but before we do that, I'd really appreciate it if you take a moment to share this episode with someone who you think might get some value from it. Feel free to tag me on the podcast on social media, and I'll be sure to put those links on the video and in the description below. If you're listening to the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podchaser, Apple Podcast, or Spotify. It helps others find the show and lets me know how I'm doing at this video podcast thing. If you'd like to support the show, be sure to check out our affiliate links, shop our merch, and subscribe to the Honeypot newsletter and this YouTube channel, all at the links in the description. Without further ado, let's get into it. Okay. Yeah, so you're probably the first, you are the first franchise owner that we've had on the uh, show. Okay, cool stuff. Yes. <laughs> you know what's funny? It's like, <laughs> believe it or not, I've been, done like a few interviews where that's the case, you know? It's just, I think for us, right, <laughs> it's, I was talking to my wife about this earlier and I said, you know, one of like my visions, and I guess we could talk about it more, but one of my visions was to kind of make entrepreneurship not seem so pie in the sky. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes like it seems really mystical the way people talk about business and it seems like this thing that's really far off, but it's just like everything we interact with every day is a business. It's yeah. somebody's idea. It's yeah. somebody like somebody thought to make this table. Yeah. Somebody thought to make you know, and it's just like but in our community, because we don't have that many tangible examples, we think like, oh my God, like I got to create something. And it's like we see business through these really rose-colored glasses. And it's just like, no. And so I think the fact that I, like most restaurants, you don't even know who the owner is. I think the fact that I've made myself so accessible, I think it feels more tangible to people. I think people feel like, oh, like, yeah, he just went to college and did this. And that's (laughs) cool. Like, that's kind of what I was hoping, like, as people see more of us doing yeah. things like that, it wouldn't seem so like unreachable kind of thing, you yeah. know? So that, yeah. So when you went to UNC, did you ever say like, hey, instead of starting my own, I want to buy somebody else's business or buy no. into a franchise? No. So I, interestingly enough, I, um, 
went to school, just followed the normal track like everyone else. I thought I was going to be like a doctor or a dentist. Like okay. that was my goal coming out of high school. It was like get really good grades, go to good school, go to med school, go to dental school. Like, okay. and, and so I guess even in that standpoint, I felt like I would like own my own practice one day maybe. Like I wouldn't have a boss. Yeah. But um, I took that, I had that chemistry lab freshman year and it was like 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. chem lab and I was like eh, I don't know if I love chemistry and science this much to have 10 o'clock labs at night yeah. so that kind of yeah. like I pivoted there and honestly I just kind of went down a path worked in corporate America for some companies and mm-hmm. um as I did that more like that drum beat really started to come back like hey man I do I want to be able to leave something for my family for my kids one day mm-hmm. and that's really when I got serious about okay how can I do this like how can I really get from having to work on work for someone else right and rely on them for income to maybe being able to create and build something where like I can be the one creating jobs I can you know take care of myself and my family and so that was when I really got serious about it. and that probably was I would say like 2010 2011 I just became like obsessed with it like reading books just even while I was working I would spend my lunch breaks and even one of my old boss jokes with me sometimes she just sent me a DM on Facebook recently she was like man I remember you used to pack your lunch every day and you would have your headphones in or reading books about entrepreneurship like I was just like that person once I got on it I wouldn't eat out I was like I'm saving my money like I'm gonna and I'll be in like my lunch breaks I was like reading some book or had some audio book in my ear and I just you know so that's kind of how I got Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so when you say <laughs> that is a very serious dedication. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it also speaks to, I just feel like, to like something else we haven't talked about on this show is like this sheer amount of learning that you have to do. Because once you become, you know, interested in entrepreneurship and whatever form that takes for you or just creating other sources of income other than a full-time job that you may be working at the time, like... The sheer amount of learning that you have to do, the learning curve is super steep. You know what I mean? Exactly. And so it's just like, and then too, once you take that leap, like you're responsible for your own professional development after that. So it's not just like you start a business and go full time and then that's it. It's like there's still so much learning to do and growing to do. And it may take a lunch break. It may take weeks. It may take an accelerator. Yes. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. yeah, if you can get into an accelerator, that's huge for a lot of, especially like minority startups. They're yeah. like, they get into an accelerator. They get it plugged into that network. People who've kind of already overcome the roadblocks that they know they're going to face. Like that's, you can't even put a price tag on how much like exponentially that increases your chances of doing well yeah you know yeah so that's like yeah but like things i didn't even know existed until i became a full-time business owner. Right. you know what i mean so yeah. it's not like people are marketing this towards like people who haven't started anything so there's exactly. definitely like a i don't know i mean it's kind of like once you know you know but then it's you know you still have to like put yourself out there in order to learn about certain opportunities but that's what i kind of mean about like the rose-colored glasses or the mystique of it all yeah. like people Sometimes we package business ownership in this way that it does almost feel like, oh, you just do it and you become this thing. And it's like no one's talking about that learning is actually really expensive. Learning is expensive for a couple reasons because, number one, you probably are investing in yourself in some sort of training, Mm -hmm. some sort of camera equipment. 
you're teaching yourself that through YouTube or, you know, that sort of thing. But then the other learning that no one likes to talk about is like the cost of mistakes along the way. Right. (laughs) Like that's like that is, and that's what I mean by like learning is really expensive. Like when you make a bad hire and you hire and you pay that person X salary for 90 to 90 days to six months. And that was real capital that left your business and that hire did not work out but that's money you're never going to get back that's time you're never going to get back Mm -hmm. and now you have to rinse and repeat and say well what went wrong about that hiring decision and now you got to bring that same person in and start from zero and build them up so that they can hopefully be a better fit for the company or just the wrong decisions you made when you thought this was going to be great and it just didn't pan out how you thought. Right. And all of that took your resources right. from your company to do Yeah, that. for you to figure it out. You know what I mean? It's not like it's like, oh, okay, well, like, you know, it's like the same thing about people don't like the 90-day rule when they get on companies, but it's yeah. like, okay, it's not like I get a refund in 90 days either. Right. You know what I mean? So exactly. like you still got paid mm-hmm. whether or not this worked out or not. You know what I like to say is that for if I have an employee, and I've said this before, as a company, we committed to, we pay you on time every time. We're never late with your pay. Mm-hmm. So what makes you think it's okay to show up late to work? Mm-hmm. What makes you think it's okay not to honor your commitments? Because if Friday came and that direct deposit wasn't there at 1201, <laughs> we would have problems, right? And yeah. so even though we don't have this formal contract, we did make an agreement with each other that in return for you doing your best work, I will honor all my responsibilities to you as someone who decided to work for our company. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just yeah. that's just the truth of it, yeah. right? Yeah, no, that's a good point. I don't know. I'm not going to yeah. say I haven't been late to a job before. We're not going to no, go there. No, but you know what I mean? Like yeah. We all have it, but it's like I think when you are on the other side of the table and you're no longer the employee and you're an employer and you realize that payroll is expensive because not only do I have to pay their salary, but I have my portion of employer taxes that I still pay on top of their salary. And these are the little things what I mean by learning is expensive that we don't, no one shares like, okay, when you run payroll as an employer, you actually have to pay payroll taxes. You actually have to, (laughs) you know? Yeah. So, So, and then it's like, I don't know. So I'm not taxed as an escort currently, but when you're taxed as an escort, that also comes with a whole other host of things because it's like okay right now I'm essentially one in the same like a sole proprietorship Mm -hmm. like I'm essentially one in the same like I do my taxes the same way but you know when you're an escort it's like okay yes like you're helping yourself out a little bit by separating yourself from the company right of course and like paying yourself a salary and paying whoever a salary but then that comes back on you at the end because it's like okay like you said payroll taxes cost you have to pay to like for some kind of system or software to pay these people absolutely on top of that and then it's like it's it's a whole thing. But no, you're like, right. And then the time it takes to do it. So on top of that, not only are you paying money, but you're also spending time to do this when you have to do it, which is like something else people don't talk about. Like I feel like now, not only do I know where every cent that I get goes, <laughs> yeah. but I also yeah. know where all of my time goes mm-hmm. too. You know what I mean? You don't have this luxury of saying like, okay, I get up, I go to work. You know, I do my one-hour lunch break. I read, I eat, I go home, I do this. It's like, no, I know where everything. I know exactly what I'm doing with that time too. Yeah, it's not yeah. work. Is not this like one singular thing. You know, work takes on different forms. And I think that's why when 
when you kind of make that shift from kind of being on, I say like the W-2 side, when you're like the employee to like you're the business owner, your concept of work-life balance really changes, you know, and it's not, I think it was maybe Jack Welch or somebody said, it's not so much work time, work-life balance, it's choices, Mm -hmm. right? And so everything we do is a choice. And so what I've just become more disciplined about is, all right, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to be fully present. Like, for example, me, you coming here, me coming here, this is a block of time that we've committed to each other. So I'm going to show up as my best self. I'm going to be fully present and give what I have because I committed my time to this. Likewise, when I choose to be at work, I know I'm not with my little one. I know I'm not spending time with my wife. So I'm going to show up as my best self. But those blocks of times where I've committed to spend time with my family, I'm also going to show up and be present there. And like, I'm not going to allow work and other things to take away from that because that's more important. And so that's, and so when you get to the point of your business, when you can start to afford to hire help, what I believe we're doing as the owners of the company is we're buying our time back. Mm. That's how I look at it. So when I got to the point when I was able to afford someone to like run our payroll, when I was able to get to a point where I could hire an assistant what I'm paying them for is my time so that I can do more things to hopefully grow the business. Correct. So I bought some time back by entrusting someone else with some part of my business that I need. Yeah. Right. And that's a good way to look at it. So we had a previous guest on season two, Chris Ward, and we talked pretty in depth before and after the show just about her concept of like outsourcing. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's very similar to what you said. It's like, these are people that you should have to, like, look behind. You know what I mean? Because then it's like you didn't buy yourself time back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, you just created another relationship that you have to nurture mm-hmm. in the same way that you could have probably done it yourself. Um, and so it's like, you know, when you look at outsourcing, yeah, it may take time to find the right fit. But once you do, like, that fit, you should look at it as and create a scope of work that allows them to do their job and manage that part of the business or manage you almost like yeah. tell them what they need from you mm-hmm. rather than you telling them what you need from them because that should already be defined clearly yeah. so that you can focus on like you said building revenue and doing sorts of things that you know are really in scope with running a business but right? and it's it's really hard though because if you're a solopreneur or someone who particularly with creatives you know you're used to just because you have a specific lens that you see the world through you have a specific lens and a vision for how you want your product to live and breathe in the world that is really hard to hand that off because it's almost like handing off a piece of you right and you are trusting someone with like your baby and that is kind of even a scary transition and a growing pain that as business owners if we don't do, it's going to be really hard to scale. Yeah. It's going to, and I mean, I'm in that phase now. I've been in that phase of hiring people. And that's why I said you make mistakes along that way. Cause yeah. it's, you're building new muscles, you're yeah. building new habits, you're, yeah. you're building a new workflow and it's not going to be perfect. And yeah. You're going to lose some people and you're going to be misunderstood because, you yeah. know, maybe you didn't communicate that as perfectly. And unfortunately, as the owner, 
you're not going to get the same level of sympathy because people assume you just know it all and yeah. you should know exactly what to do. And it's like, man, I'm just try- I'm walking and chewing gum at the same time. Like I, sometimes I'm figuring this out on the fly. Yeah. Like I've never every time we've added a new store, it's been a new amount of growing pains. Mm-hmm. Right. What it took to run one store didn't work for two and two certainly didn't work for three and so even though people kind of look at you and say man like you seem like you're really good and you got and it's just like man you have no (laughs) clue how hard this is and how much like sleep I lose and how much anxiety I have trying to like make this thing work (laughs) you know I always feel overwhelmed but I think the only difference between entrepreneurs and people who decided to jump on ownership side is they just learn how to manage in that area of it's okay to be uncomfortable. I'm still going to do this thing anyway. Right. Like I am. <laughs> whether I whether I fumble it a couple times, I have enough belief in myself that eventually I'm going to get it right. Yeah. And so that's how we, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. No, that's a real thing. I think you made a really good point though. It's like sometimes with scaling, and this has also been some of the rhetoric that I've heard and come to understand is like, you know, how you do one thing is how you do mm-hmm. anything. Mm-hmm. You know what yep. I mean? Like, that's a popular thing that people say. Or, you know, it's like, once you've done it one time, you should know how to, if you can do it for one person, you should know how to do it for 20. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? This, the process should be the same. Yeah. But like you were saying, because you have a physical storefront, you know, and in different places throughout the triangle, like, that's just simply not the case. Yeah. So can you talk me through, okay, you started, which your prior location was first? Carrie was first. Okay, that was my understanding. Yeah, so... Carry, we, um, it was an existing business that we purchased from a previous owner. Mm-hmm. And, um, of course, I had limited restaurant background, to be quite honest. I worked for a little bit of college, you know, yeah. did some stuff, but nothing to the degree of kind of diving in both feet first. But I did bring, and I think this is something to kind of consider, too, I did bring some degree of expertise and understanding, right? So in my previous life, it's not like I didn't understand finance. It's not like I didn't have a pretty good working knowledge of accounting and understanding, generally speaking, the financials of like where I needed to be to be profitable. And Mm -hmm. so I brought all of that knowledge from my previous business experience I just didn't know how to run a restaurant right and I, and I say just because it's funny <laughs> it's funny that's a big just it's fun, <laughs> but it, it's funny almost like three years on the other side of that how laughable that is because what I mean by like when you alluded to that steep learning curve mm-hmm. like just how much I had to grow into like and I mean and so but I just was confident that I knew I was I knew I had I was confident in my ability to learn okay right and so I knew that like asking the right questions reaching out to the right people being willing to make mistakes that I would eventually get it yeah and so so yeah so coming into that first one of course I went through the training and the franchise provided support and I could reach out and ask questions to my other owners who have kind of been there where I was currently, mm-hmm. but it was experience. Yeah. Like I said, I had to, one thing I realized is even though I managed people and I was the boss in a corporate structure, yeah, it's not the same as being the boss 
of people when it's your thing, right? And I had to, so that was an adjustment for me. And I was in retail before, so I thought, well, retails and restaurants, there is some overlap there. Right. In but it was a different type of person you're managing mm -hmm. in the restaurant industry and a different skill set and what it takes to get the most out of people. And I didn't get that until just being there, living in that space, mm -hmm. working 70, 80 hours a week for a really long time. Yeah. Just because, again, the only way how I saw it going into it, the only way to overcome that steep learning curve was just full immersion. Yeah. So I just, I mean, I worked, I don't even, if I totaled the amount of hours I worked between, because when I took over the carry store, COVID hit four months later. Yeah. And, and so between that and just being a, almost a pandemic business owner, yeah. the amount of just stress and everything that yeah. everyone has experienced these past two years is, yeah. but you know, it, you just learn or you, you don't yeah. have a choice. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it's kind of like, even now you've grown. So like you're a pandemic business, but you've been able to grow and scale. It's almost like, I don't know, looking at Pinky Cole, who obviously started well before the pandemic, mm -hmm. but she had a certain measure of success and she also started off as like a food truck. So she's like, I know mm -hmm. I can always go back to that, mm -hmm. which is exactly mm -hmm. what she did. Um, and so, and she's been able to grow and scale. She's brought on like, I think almost three new locations and mm -hmm. she has one coming to Alabama, has one mm -hmm. coming to New York. So it's like, you know, you hear these stories and you're like, man, you, you say you have a lot of growth to do, but your business is still growing. So where is the growth happening? I think... The growth is, so for me, I'm kind of type A, so I had to really get comfortable that, and I think I came into this understand, thinking that everyone has the same sort of work ethic and get up and go that you, you know, you, you yeah. don't, and so you got to first get over the fact that people aren't going to treat it like you treat it. Yeah. Just go ahead and give that up because you will save yourself a lot of lost sleep <laughs> thinking that people will treat it exactly how you treat it. Yeah. So once I realized that, the growing pains came in is that I really need some better systems, right? right? And so there's the saying that a good uh, average system executed well will beat a rock star employee every day of the week, mm. right? So think about like the McDonald's of the world. Mm. Like they make it almost impossible for you to mess up that Big Mac, yeah. right? Like you can go to almost any McDonald's anywhere and it tastes the same, right? Mm -hmm. Or you get generally the same product. So I had to really shift my thinking in that way and say, okay, like how can I document things? How can I explain things better so that when one person goes to one location and goes to another location they're getting a, somewhat of the same experience. We don't always get it right. I mean, we get, we get bad reviews just like every other restaurant get bad reviews in it. But as someone who takes that personally, it's like, dang, like, what is it? Why? And especially if it's a consistent theme, I really have to dig into that and say, well, why is it that this store is able to do this well, but this store just seems to be a hang up. And so that's what I say for growth for me is 
I've really been honing in on like the systems that I have in place. And that's why I said eventually it's like, I got to hire someone to manage my payroll because every hour I spend running payroll, I'm not spending really digging into our business to figure out how to achieve consistency. So we handed that off. And then the first of this year, one of my big goals to start the year was to hire a personal assistant. And so that was because like, she, you know, our personal assistant can sort of help with some of the partnering to help with some of the payroll and all the stuff that greases the wheels of the company and makes it go that I can't afford to let get behind. Right. I need someone to own that. So when we got a new hire, how are we onboarding them? And that's one of the things I'm working on now is like, is every store getting a consistent onboarding process? Like we know exactly what day one at our company looks like. Yeah. We know exactly what day two at our company looks like. And I'm working on that document as we speak to real because even though you got to spend time on the front end, I'm hopeful that the payoff means I know even when I'm not in the stores that people are being introduced to our company and onboarded in a way that's going to set them up to win. Yeah. Right. And and hopefully what that means is our retention improves, right. our, our uh, employee satisfaction improves, and also the customer gets a better, more consistent experience. Right. But I'm having to kind of learn that, right? It's yeah. not a structure manual that tells you how to onboard employees. No. But what I know from living in the stores, because I've immersed myself, I know what it takes to run a good your pie now. Yeah. Right. And so now I got to get that out of my brain onto paper and then have somebody own that system. Mm-hmm. And that's when hiring the good people comes in and where you make the mistakes. Because what I've learned, and this is a sports analogy, but since I love basketball, like you can take one player who was a really talented player, but on this team, he's just not a good fit. And it's like, you're like, man, like this guy has all the goods, but on this team, he's kind of looking average. Then you take that same player and you put him in this system and he's a multiple year all-star and maybe becomes a hall of famer. Mm -hmm. Was he a bad player? No, he just wasn't a good fit. Mm -hmm. And so I've had to be more disciplined about, you know, there's a saying hire slowly, but fire quickly. And I've had to be more disciplined about that. Like, when I bring people in saying, okay, 30 days, I want you to be here. By 60 days, I want you to be here. By 90 days, I largely expect you to be here. And if at 90 days, that doesn't, we're not quite making the progress, okay, we got to make the change because the business suffers. Yeah. It's not about me. It's not whether I like you or not because I hired you probably because I liked you and thought you were a good fit for culturally. Mm-hmm. But if it's not fitting, it's not fitting because mm-hmm. the guest suffers. Yeah. And then if the guest suffers, the business suffers. Right. So that's, that's a, I mean, I don't have an MBA. Yeah. Right. So I've had to learn that and just tweak it and in real time make changes. And so that I'm in that process now. I'm a lot better than I was starting. And I hope a year from now, I'm a lot better than where I am today. You know? So. Yeah. Man, me and my mom. So my mom actually works in human resources. So she's hired and fired people for years, you know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So she knows onboarding and stuff like that, like the back of her hand and like how to, you know, ask the right questions to see if somebody's going to be a good fit and that sort of thing. 
I'm like, can you just put it into like a book or something? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. Because I know one, it was like, I realized very quickly how I was not the only person who struggled with this. Yeah. And then you think about, you know, not just in the restaurant industry or in the retail industry, but also in like the creative industry. A lot of times, you know, people, myself included, you know, we're hiring freelancers for either mm -hmm. a project mm -hmm. or a series mm -hmm. of things or something like that. And it's like, that still requires a level of onboarding. You know what I'm saying? For them to kind of understand how your approach to doing certain things and stuff like that. And as a creative or whatever, it's like, you know, I, I've touched every part of this business, yeah, right? Yeah. So it's not that I don't know how to do something explicitly, but it's I just don't have the time to mm -hmm. focus on this one thing anymore. But I also have expectations for how I want that one thing to look or come out or be the result of that project. So it's it's hard, you know what I mean? And you think it's, it's not as easy as going on Fiverr or going on, you know, some, <laughs> some, some website hiring somebody like, Hey, I need a logo or something. Like, can you do this? And it's, it's a little bit different, especially if you want to have maybe an ongoing relationship where you come to them yeah. for certain things, yeah. or maybe eventually have them on the team part-time or whatever, full-time, you know, there is, there's definitely an, an understanding that has to be had about like the systems that you have in place and how you affect, communicate effectively, how you work effectively, that sort of thing. And so it's, it's, if only there was a book, if yeah, only, right. there's, <laughs> you know, there's plenty of, you know, profit first. There's plenty of, of books like that about how to make money, how to, you know, get your entrepreneurial mindset, you know, in a space where you can think effectively about how you run a business mm -hmm, and things mm -hmm. like that, but not as much about, you know, finding the right fits for your business and finding the right partnerships are going to help you grow. Yeah. I, I, um, came across this on one of the podcasts that I listened to is a restaurant podcast. So like, because again, like I said, I know how to learn. I just started finding restaurant podcasts. Mm. I started again, going on you, you just, yeah. if you've done it before, you kind of know where you can get information and piece right. it together. Right. But it would be great if it was just in this one beautifully packaged, <laughs> wouldn't ever, everybody would be successful, right? And we just, but that's one of the barriers to entry. Like mm. when you talk about, like when you're entering any kind of business, you always think about what are some of the barriers to entry to doing well in this thing? So like, like if you want to be in tech, one of the major barrier to entry is probably capital, yeah. right? Because it costs a lot to run some of these tech companies. Or one barrier to entry is you got to know how to program, right? So there's all these different. Mm -hmm. and, but one thing, like you said, that is consistent across everything is the people. Yeah. And so I started, that was another thing I realized is more oftentimes than not, and this is more like in my recent kind of, life where I am as an owner is I started realizing that it's more important to hire for fit than skill set. And so like my saying is like I hire for mindset over skill set mm. because I believe that particularly what we do and one of the reasons why I chose your pie is that what we do is amazingly simple. Mm. I can teach you how to work our oven in 15 minutes. <laughs> like it, and I mean, you will make perfect pizzas because the oven does the hard work, right? <laughs> okay. Like the oven is designed to make pizzas, yeah. right? So, so that being said, if, if I believe fundamentally that everything in our business is teachable, it's most important to have the right personality there. Right. The person who's going to like love making sure you feel warm when you come into our store and actually say, Hey, Angela, it's good to see you again, man. Where have you been? I haven't seen you in a couple weeks. Right? Mm -hmm. Like that is way more important than, or the person who understands that 
restaurant hours aren't banking hours mm -hmm. that at five o'clock on the dot you may not get there there are going to be some days you get to leave at 450 yeah. there's going to be some days you don't get to leave to six o'clock because we just had a a bus full of people come in and we got to make sure that they get the best experience possible. Mm -hmm. That is way harder to find for. Mm -hmm. And so what I've been doing is Googling questions to ask. And so I've gotten to the point, even with our crew members <clears throat> that I don't even ask them the traditional, tell me what you did at your last job. Tell me, you know, I've started asking questions like if you can have lunch with any celebrity that are alive, who would you have lunch with? Interesting. Because no one's expecting that question in interview number one, but also what it does is it kind of jolts you for a second and you got to stop and think and it, and it forces your personality to come out mm -hmm. because now you have to think about in that question is who's even more important enough to me that I want to have lunch with. Mm -hmm. And that says a lot about like that person you tell me yeah. is going to tell me a lot of things about you that tell me about a time at your job, dot, 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 or tell me about a time at your last job when you had a tough situation to overcome all the questions you can Google in five seconds. Yeah. <clears throat> I might know, man, like this person loves Beyonce <laughs> and wants to have dinner with her or lunch with her and why because they think she's a really good businesswoman or they like her sense of fashion and whatever reason they tell me now I know it's like oh this person likes fashion this person likes this type of music I can connect with them now and the when I ask a few of those types of questions, yeah. like the defenses come down and most times like people's personality shines through. Mm -hmm. Or you can see like if a person doesn't really have an answer for that or they're, it's like, man, they might not be as engaging with our guests. Like they don't really have personality and mm -hmm. we need people with personality to make your pie fun. Yeah. And so, but that's just, I got that tip from a podcast. Yeah. That wasn't my idea. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's just been those sorts of things. Yeah. yeah. You make a good point. And I think right now in the time of the great resignation of people who are being increasingly critical of company work cultures, it's like not only does it open them up in terms of their personality, but it gets them to see you as well because they understand now that you're looking at them as a person. Yeah. And I think even if they don't get chosen for the job, they're going to, like, you know, if they see another opening in the future that they think they'd be good fit for, they're going to be like, you know, I'm willing to apply again. Because mm -hmm. I think this company would be yeah. somewhere great to work with. You know what I mean? And you know one thing I'll say about that since you touched on it, like when, you know, people being critical of company cultures, I've also, <laughs> and I told my wife this recently, I've come to the point that I realized as an entrepreneur, you're going to have to just become settled within yourself that you're going to be misunderstood and that your motives are going to be questioned. Mm -hmm. And that because you have this vision, it's your baby. One of the things why I never will down talk another entrepreneur because it is extremely hard to take something that didn't exist in the world mm -hmm. that was just an idea yeah in your head and take that from something that just became an idea in your head and make it tangible to now is something that's living breathing that people can touch in this world yeah we take for granted how far apart that is yeah there's a million ideas every day but you took your idea and made it tangible mm -hmm. and made it real. 
So anybody who's gotten to that point where like their product or service or businesses in the world, it's like I salute them because I it only the you hear the saying you will never hear someone doing more than you bad talk you. Yeah. Right. The people who are doing more than you, they understand how much it took just for you to get to where you are. Mm -hmm. And that's why they're the most giving people usually. And they want to see you win because they can remember when they were in your shoes and how hard it was in the near failures that they had on the road to success. And so what I had to realize is like, I've had employees who dislike me. I probably have, you know, People who say I will never work for that guy again have people who love working for me, right? And so I just have to be clear that I know exactly why I have your pie. I know exactly what I want us to be in the community. Mm -hmm. And like I know that like my motives and my reason for building this company are pure. And it's not always the employee's job to have to consider all the things you have to consider, right? Like they most times show up because you pay them a paycheck and, you know, and if you're really lucky, you get those employees who buy into the vision and they stay with you for a long time and they help you build something really special. But those are like the unicorns, right? Most companies don't get that lucky, but with the few employees, right? Right. And so you just got to be okay with being misunderstood. I think, I think honestly, to be entrepreneur, you probably got a little bit of crazy in you anyway, right? Like most people, like you got to be kind of just a little bit like you got to almost have a ridiculous amount of belief in yourself to try to create something out of nothing. Yeah. Right. And so we're just kind of a special batch of people, you know, and that's a good way to put it. And I think, I don't know, I guess I don't deal with that on as big of a scale because as creators, it's just like, I mean, mm-hmm. we're basically, you know, people have a lot of different takes on, yeah. you know, creativity and the creator economy and mm-hmm. people that are freelancing versus having their own business and all these other types of things. And so I definitely think there is, you know, that again, going back to that level of mystique, I think creators, they get, they get the short end of the star anyway. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so I really just don't really concern myself with opinions, but when you're an employer, you know what I mean? Like you know, not only are you facing opinions from the people that, you know, buy from you, but you're also facing opinions from the people that you work with. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like you, you have two sets of people that you have to kind of, I wouldn't say even try to please, but understand. Yeah. Right. Yeah. At a higher level now. Um, and understanding that at the end of the day, you know, I, I take it with clients. It's like, you know, I'm not for everybody. Yeah. And yeah. so it's like, why would that be true for the people that mm-hmm. you, know, you work with? It's like, and that's why fit is just so important, right? Mm-hmm. You just got to, it's almost like, for me, I feel like you have to obsess over that because the wrong fit will just, yeah. there's there's no way to make it fit. Yeah. It's not the right fit. It's not like one of the things I say about my team is like if I'm teaching someone how to do our dough and it's a newer person, I say we want perfect circles on our pieces, right? right. I, was, I was like, our oven isn't magic. You, if that dough looks like a square when you put it in, the oven's not going to turn into a circle. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So if, you you know, it's like the same trying to fit, you know, a, round, a square peg in a round right. hole, right? Yeah. Sometimes it's just not going to be a good fit. And there's no need to be, you know, like toxic about it or petty about it or bad mouth. It, look, it just didn't work, yeah. guys. And, you know, we got to be mature enough to move on. Say, you know what? How can I interview for better fit and look I'm still trying to get it right you know every you know I just 
it just doesn't work. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes, yeah. But that's humbling, you know? Yeah, it that is. lets you know, like, <laughs> you're not as bright as you think you're. And that's what I mean by when I, I just think, when I say I'm still learning and you hear these people who are really successful, I think it's coming from a sincere place of we've made so many mistakes. And even though people kind of see you, maybe they see you as like, man, like that's something I would aspire to. Like I, it's not hard for me to remember the mistakes I've made. It's not hard for me to remember the times when I really messed that up Mm -hmm. and I really didn't hit the mark there. So now that maybe I'm getting some traction or I'm moving forward, I know just how easy it is to like end up back there. And that's, to me, should keep you really grounded. Yeah. Should keep you like really <laughs> like knowing that it's not hard for you. One wrong thing, and You're it can good. be it for you. Yeah, you know for sure. So yeah, <laughs> that, like, yeah. Yes, but that's like a real, a real, you know, note to end on because I think like again, like I appreciate you coming in here and saying like we're gonna start rosy, and I'm just gonna peel those glasses away from yeah. you real quick, yeah. and not in a way that's like jarring or like oh you shouldn't go into entrepreneurship. But you should definitely know why you're doing it, and you should definitely be open to learning and being committed to learning as you go through and improving processes as you go through. Because that's, to me, like how I define entrepreneurship as a career. Yeah. It's a lifelong thing yeah. that you like. You're never really like, even when you hit the top mm-hmm. publicly. You know, whatever people consider the top to be, whether right. that's you know your Elon or your Jeff Bezos, it's like there's still more to go, right? And you still see them, Mark Zuckerberg included, like refining and like creating and innovating and trying to keep, you know, their company moving forward in whatever way that feels best and like affronting those confronting problems that they're having because there's always going to be something. Absolutely. There's, you said it. (laughs) (laughs) There's always something. There's always something. Some days it's like, man, again, I got to deal with this. Like, oh man. But thank you so much for coming out today. Can you tell people how to get in touch with your pie and like visit your store if they're in the area? Okay. Well, we have uh, three locations in the triangle. We have a store in Cary. We have a store in Briar Creek. We have a store on Capitol Boulevard near Triangle Town. You can follow us on Instagram at your pie and see, um, yeah, come check us out. <laughs> Thank you so much for yeah. taking the time yeah. on a Saturday. I appreciate yeah, absolutely. It. Thank you.